And just like that, we're back. This life ain't for everybody. We're coming at you again with a really badass episode, another Major League Baseball episode, another World Champion Dodgers episode with one of their aces. Brought to you by Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. Thank you, Jack Daniels. I often enjoy a Jack Daniels while I'm watching this man pitch. I was enjoying a Jack Daniels watching this man pitch against the Cincinnati Reds just a couple nights ago. Walker Bueller, what's up, my brother? Chilling, man. I'm here in Milwaukee. We're just uh, trying to get back, back on track. We've been struggling a little bit, but uh, it's part of the deal. You play 162 of them, so... Uh, you're not going to win all of them. I saw last night was a was what two to one one run yep. game. That's a that's a pitcher duel right there. Yeah, it was a good one. Trevor, our uh, our new guy, threw threw the ball really well, and um, you know sometimes it's a one run game and, and you're on the wrong side of it. Let me ask you something about specifically where you sit right now. Is it one of the nicer parks in the National League? Because the Brewers brag on it a lot. They have great baseball tradition there. The Miller Lite commercials. Bob Euchre, he was in the movie Major Leagues. He was in that franchise of the movies. He's very, he's known as a very nice man, a very good baseball person. Is it a cool atmosphere up there, Milwaukee? And do you enjoy Miller Field, Miller Park? Yeah, you know what? One of the one of the first memories of the first time that I was here a lot was 2018 in the playoffs. And um, obviously that was a, that was a pretty cool atmosphere. So, you know, kind of when that's your first impression or your first real thing, you remember it's, it's hard not to, not to enjoy that kind of deal. And, um, no, it is a cool park. It's a little bit different being, having the dome, but still being grass, I think is kind of a cool, cool feature of that place. And, um, yeah, we've enjoyed being here some. What about the catch that Taylor makes on the warning track in the playoffs in 18? That at Miller Park, full house, mm-hmm. um, the ball's laced into the left left center gap kind of, and he runs it down and makes an unbelievable catch. Are you are you in the dugout up on the up on the stairs? You know, elbows over the rail watching this, or what do you think when that ball goes off the bat? Yeah that 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 whole sequence was pretty wild from. From Julio coming in, you know, dealing he was he was dealing with some stuff with his family. I don't don't really want to get into, but but for him to be out there was was incredible on its own. And um, Christian Yelich, you know, reigning MVP for for that whole thing to kind of unfold like it did was was pretty incredible. And you know, obviously the catch was was what it was, but um, just a cool cool time especially being a rookie and and not knowing any better and not knowing how cool that really was at at the time I think um, makes it even that more special now looking back on it last time we talked we talked we touched on Tommy a little bit he was there for that game um, but he's wasn't there to get the rings Um, how how does this affect the culture and the organization? We talked about the culture of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and we all know what Tommy Lasorda meant to it. Does it personally touch you, even though you haven't been there, let's say, 20 years? You're still a young man. Um, but Tommy Lasorda is that influential, right, to where it, it touches everybody and hits everybody kind of hard? Yeah, you know, that's one of those things that – it's hard to explain kind of what a guy like that means to a, to a group and to an organization when, when they've essentially dedicated their life 
in in the service of other people and and wanting to achieve something as a group and um just a special human i don't i don't know if we'll ever have one quite like him but you know i, I know for a lot of us the the fact that the last game he saw we won a world series is is about as good as we were going to do so um you know i think we all kind of find some solace in that and um you know tommy was tommy was a great great man and a great dodger for for a long time and um, you know, for, for me personally, I was, I'm blessed to have, to have met him and, and been around him as much as I was. When you see Van walk across the, the grass to get his ring, that's also has to say something about like the culture of that place, right? You're in Chavez Ravine, Dodger stadium. Um, one of the most you know, sought after programs in the history of sports, really. I mean, the Yankees and the Dodgers lo- are looked at as like the organizations, um, in my opinion. There's a lot of great teams and a lot of great managements and a lot of great organizations. I get that. But the Dodgers, it's different there. That stadium's different. The culture's different. Vin Scully's been there. I don't know how long, but it's got to be nearing 60, 70 years. That might be an exaggeration. But you talk about a Dodger. What did that make you feel like seeing that that guy walk across getting his ring yeah you know what's what's crazy about that day so i actually started that game right so all the hoopla and all that i'm out there in the bullpen trying to pitch and trying to get ready to to go win us the home opener and um you know i know looking at the pictures and and talking to guys how how special that kind of whole event was before the game and um, kind of a cool kind of honor for me to get to pitch that game. But part of you, you know, I miss, miss out a little bit and, and didn't get the, didn't get to do the whole thing, but um, just, it was just time for us to win one, I think, and seemingly kind of fit in just the way that it should have. And um, yeah, it's just been a cool experience. Well, big congratulations to you. I mean, you think about your career over the past five, six, seven years, NCAA titles, all American titles, um, pitching in Omaha is an unbelievable experience. I, I don't know if you are an old school baseball guy, but I would have rather seen you pitch in Rosenblatt than the new stadium in Omaha, just because I've been to both. And I, I think the culture and the atmosphere was so much cooler then um i don't know if you've heard that have you heard that um do you have did you want wish you got the pitch in rosenblatt as opposed i mean the new stadium is state of the art don't get me wrong but mm-hmm. rosenblatt was rosenblatt have you what what have you heard about that place and do you wish you got to got the pitch there yeah, i mean i think as a pitcher i think i'm glad i didn't that place, yeah the ball so, sale you know, <laughs> <laughs> um but no i mean i i think kind of the the vanderbilt ties to to Rosenblatt were non-existent, right? We, we had never gone to the world series there. Um, but we were, we were in the first world series at the new stadium. And I, I remember watching that as a kid committed to go to Vanderbilt. Um, Connor Harrell hit the first home run in the history of, of that stadium in the world series for Vandy. So, you know, I, I just, I remember that and, and that, being kind of the link to what Omaha meant in my head for us and and to wear that uniform there um, kind of always meant we were going to do it at, at the new place. So um, 
yeah, the, the Rosenblatt kind of legacy is, is still intact, but, um, you know, we've done some good things at that stadium. Let's talk stats for one second, Walker Bueller. As a pitcher, as competitive as you are, you're a nice guy. You're a clean-cut dude. Don't get me wrong. I know that you have a sweet side, but I guarantee you that when you're between the chalk, it's it's all business, it's all team, it's all about the win column. This is what fills the seats. This is what gets the paychecks. This is what keeps management happy. Um, 31 innings pitched, and you're 1-0 in the 2021 campaign. You're coming off of a World Series championship. We talked about this, the pressure with the Dodgers of, of repeating or winning again. The the COVID season compared to a full 162-game season before the playoffs. How does it make a guy like you feel? And I know that you're all about the team, but is it hard to digest when you go out and pitch into – you You are literally pitching into the sixth or seventh inning nightly. You have 31 strikeouts in 31 innings this year. You had 10 strikeouts the other night against Cincinnati. I believe it's the new season high, if I remember right. But how does it make you feel when you go to that dugout with the lead, the bullpen middle relief comes in, then the closer comes in, you end up losing that lead somewhere in there, and your record still is showing 1-0. That's not Cy Young numbers. It's not going to be Cy Young numbers if it continues that way. I'm not trying to put a negative spin on it. No, I'm just saying, does all of this stuff go through a pitcher's head like like that, Walker, when you see how good you're throwing, but you're not getting the wins? Um, you know what? I, I, to be honest with you, I think for me it's more about kind of the improvement, the getting worrying about myself in a, in a different light. And what I mean by that is, is I, I don't feel like I've thrown the ball um, very well. You know, our, our team scuffling as of late, not playing our best ball gives me a lead twice in that Reds game. I cough them up both times. So that kind of thing is, is kind of the dominant force, right? It's, it's not about me getting a win especially in a game to be completely honest that, that I didn't pitch well enough to win a major league baseball game. So, um, you know, that stuff can get frustrating, but the only time that, that it is frustrating or that it's even close to warranted is, is when there's zeros and then you didn't give up any runs because anytime that you've given up a run, you've, you've, put it out there that, that that game can be lost. And and if you're the starting pitcher and you give up runs, that's, that's on you. So, uh, you know, I, I just look at it a little bit differently. I think for me, it's about trying to put together a, a group of 30 quality starts that I can, that can look back and say that I put us in a, you know, in a good position to win. And, you know, if we win those games, I don't think it really matters who, who gets the the win in the win column. I love your analogy of that. It's such a great way to look at the game of of coughing up two leads against Cincinnati in Dodger Stadium. Um, where do you think the improvement needs to be right now? Because I'm watching your your breaking stuff, your fastball. I often think about pitching like I could get up there and do that. I got pretty good accuracy. I could hit the I could hit the cutoff man from the outfield in his chest every time. I can pinpoint my pitches. I got pretty good command of the strike zone. But I throw 77 at best. Maybe break glass on a jugs gun, maybe. Um, 
you're hitting, you're, you're facing major league hitters. These are the best hitters in the world, hands down. Um, your accuracy has to be there. Your placement has to be there. Your command of the strike zone has to be there. Then on top of that, when you're in the bullpen before the game is the starter, you got to know if your stuff's on. Your bullpen coach is watching you. The bullpen catcher, maybe the starting catcher a little bit's watching you. Has your stuff been on? Is your breaking ball working? Is your cut fastball working? What's working and what's not so far in this campaign? Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've had some some spots here and there where things have been great. My, my stuff has been good. I've kind of felt in command of it. And, and then there's times you don't, right? But but kind of going to, to what you're alluding to about the, the quality of the major league hitter, right? There's, there's certain mistakes that hitters of, of that quality don't allow you to make. So I, I can throw a fastball as good as I want in a certain spot. If I do that with two strikes, if I do that in the wrong count with not having leverage, they, they will beat you and they will take advantage of you. And so that's, that's where I feel like I've struggled a little bit is two strikes, putting guys away, making two quality of a pitch or, or two accessible a pitch in certain counts. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep getting better, but, but that's kind of where I, I haven't, uh, you know, kind of done what, what I'm supposed to do. There's a lot of talk in major league baseball, um, programming and the different affiliate stations around the country. You can watch MLB um, <clears throat> on on cable TV. And a lot of the talk you hear, you know, when certain teams are playing is about Vanderbilt, how, how strong that program is. We've talked about you coming out of there, your success there. Um, aluminum bats with legitimate hitters. A lot of these hitters make it to the major leagues in some cases, at least the double A, triple A. Walker Bueller, is it a huge difference with what you were facing? Because one of the best hitters in baseball right now is in Cincinnati. You faced him the other night several times. Is it a huge difference that aluminum bat and those stud hitters in NCAA Division I, College World Series, under the lights, as opposed to under the lights in Dodger Stadium against the best hitters in the game? But now they have wood bats, which... You know, some could say that you get away with a lot more with aluminum. Okay, mm -hmm. it's it's a lot harder to find that sweet spot on wood. I'm sure you've broken many a bats in your in your in your professional campaign, or even in the wooden bat leagues you played in, Alaska, Cape Cod, wherever. Is it a lot different, Walker? Yeah, uh, you know, it's a, it's a different game. the The inside part of the plate with an aluminum bat is just the the risk reward ratio is is so different and skewed because that bat can't break and, and they can, you know, for lack of a better term, everybody talks about getting, they, they fist the ball. Right. So when you do that with a wooden bat, that the thing's going to snap if you get it in there and it just eliminates a lot of the power and, and the torque, obviously that, that those guys can create inside. And, and the other part of that is, is, they have to protect themselves in there from getting their bat broken. So you can exploit the outer third. Sometimes if you, you know, there's just a little bit more cat and mouse with a wooden bat, I think, because you're, 
you're trying to stay in and out, in and out. Instead of in college, you're really just trying to stay down away and keep keep the ball away from where guys have power. So um, it, it is different. Obviously, the the BB core bat is a little bit different than than what they had previously. <laughs> you know, I, I think talking about Rosenblatt and and all those old school kind of slug fests that that happened there were, were not with BB core. They were with the drop fives and then the initial, the BSR, I think is what they were called. But, but those, those balls um, or those bats didn't, didn't really leave much room for the pitchers to have a whole lot of success. So um, it's definitely a different game, but I think a lot of the guys you would ask enjoy the wood bat. And, and I think that's obviously never going to change. When we start talking about your approach in that pregame, you know, bullpen and you're watching your stuff but you don't feel like you have it I'm sure you felt like that before right like man it's just not there tell me about that mindset Walker and does it maybe take an inning or two to get out and get your adrenaline going hear the crowd get the team in the dugout what what can change and what what can you do internally and personally to get your stuff on target if you're not feeling it right before the first inning starts yeah, you know the the old adage: if if you have ten starts, you're gonna have two of them you feel great, two of them you feel terrible, and six you've gotta kind of gotta figure out. So, um, you know that that stuff happens, man. You you come out of the bullpen not feeling super great about where you're at a lot be, because this game, it's just a long season and, and it's a lot of repetitive movements that sometimes your body's not a hundred percent primed to do perfectly that day, right? So. Um, the adrenaline can kick in for you. That can certainly happen. I know a lot of times people, I've talked to a lot of guys about having a bad bullpen and and sometimes wanting that because it kind of puts you in that fight or flight a little bit. You know, you're, you're staring down a lineup feeling like you don't have anything behind the ball and, and knowing that things can go really bad for you in the major leagues really quickly. So um, some guys enjoy that fight or flight. I, I happen to be one of those guys that, that loves when that kind of happens, but, um, I think we would all prefer to be great all the time and, and, you know, feel great in the bullpen and throw great in the game, but that's simply just not, not how this thing works. And, um, you know, the great ones figure out how to do more with those six starts that they're a little unsure of than, than everybody else. You just talked about repetitive movements. You you compare, let's say, being a major league pitcher to being a NCAA Division One softball pitcher, all American. The softball pitcher can throw several games in one week. You know, not to mention maybe two or three starts in a day. Sometimes that is a very uh, more natural movement of the arm than coming over the top finger to the thigh or thumb to the thigh, fingers to the sky, everything that we learned how to throw a baseball. It's not natural. As a major league pitcher with all of the trainers, all of the attention to medical, all of the unbelievable surgeries that can be and have been performed, you still are out there in your 20s throwing a ball literally in the mid-90s. You're throwing the ball 95, 96 miles an hour. That is means that your arm is moving 95, 96 miles an hour several times a night. If you can picture me right now whipping my arm, I'm going to be in some serious discomfort 
Hmm. for a minute. I don't know if my rotator cuff or my labrum or something's going to be messed up during this time, Walker Bueller. But if I went out and threw a hundred rounds of beep or a hundred balls right now with my nephew or whatever, I'm going to feel some pain because I'm not used to it. You're used Hmm. to it right now. You went to spring training, you're in shape. What toll does it take on your body though right now? When you get in that dugout after that seventh inning is pitched, does it hurt Walker? Is it discomfort or what, what is the feeling of a major league arm? Yeah, the, the, the soreness stuff is real. I think for me, um, not the night of the game. The night of the game, your your body will kind of be a little bit sore relative to before, right? For me, it's, it's you know, a mid part of my left back just from rotating. Um, but within a couple of days, for me, it's typically the second day is when that kind of real soreness, I guess, kicks in, you know, you'll, the, the first day for me, at least personally, you'll, you'll know that you did something, but it's, it's nothing compared to what happens the next day. And, um, you know, you just got to over the years and, and over a season, learn what your body needs, what, what you're doing, that's putting yourself in a better or worse position to, to be able to be able to recover and, and perform and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how this game has changed, right? You, you hear all the old war stories about major league guys on the road and, and going out and living wild and free. And, and to be honest with you, you just can't afford to do stuff like that nowadays because the, the bar for performance is so much higher that you have to recover better. Right. So, so now it's about what we're eating and, how we're sleeping and what treatments we're doing and strength and conditioning, things like that, as opposed to, to just rolling into the park and, and playing catch and, and getting after it every five days. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a different time in our game. And um, I, I don't think performance, at least on a pitching on the pitching side has, has ever been quite what it is right now. You, you made a comment there about the old days of, you might you might go you know hammer down seven beers after a start or you 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 look at somebody with the mentality of a Pete Rose or a Lenny Dykstra maybe even George Brett these guys Wade Boggs these guys were probably going to the hotel lobby bar a little bit you know after a game not to say it doesn't happen anymore and I'm sure that you guys can enjoy a libation every once in a while but with with it changing like that um and you you kind of see the difference in that time of the game compared to this time of the game with where you're at now. Do you wish, and I I really want to know this. I've always thought about this, about starting pitchers, because if you pitch seven innings against Cincinnati on Wednesday night, you have an off day on Thursday, a travel day, you get to Milwaukee, you're not pitching Friday and Saturday. You're, you're going to get five days rest in between your start, five man rotation, four man rotation, but you're going to get five days with the travel day. Do you wish that you could spend a couple of those away from the yard? Do you no. wish you could do you love the game so much Walker that you have to be in that dugout still? You love the you love that camaraderie, that team feeling and 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 just that unity of what baseball brings when you're when you're at a place like Miller Park tonight. You don't have to be pitching, you still want to be there? Yeah, I mean I think there's a couple layers to it, right? First you've got obviously your team and and we're going to play 162 games and, and there's going to be a core group of guys that are there for, for all, right. There's going to be some guys in and out. 
there's going to be this, there's going to be that. But at the end of the day, our team is going to play 162 games and, and we're going to try and win a bunch of them. So, yeah, you've got to be there. You, you, you need to be there. You want to be there. And for me personally, about 30 of them, I will even be involved in. So 132 of them, I won't even be involved That's in. Crazy. Right? Then you've got your, your kind of starting pitcher group, right? And you've got five guys that we're all alternating. And today it's this guy's day. And, and there's a, there's an element to that, that, that you want to be there for your guys that, that go through the same things that you do and, that you get to pick their brain and, and they pick yours throughout the week leading up to it. And you know how they're feeling and what they're working on and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I think that's, it's part of the game and, and it's, you know, a part of the game that, that some guys like even more com- than competing. And I, I know a lot of people, a lot of guys, when they retire, all they can talk about is, is missing the clubhouse. And, and that's really what they're talking about, right? Knowing the little intricacies of how a guy's feeling, how, how life is, how that's affecting, you know, what they've overcome, but all these little things that that people just don't know. And and there's no way they could. Right. But it's, it's an interesting life, man. And, and, um, I, I've really enjoyed it. Okay. So you leave LA after a start travel day, charter chat, chat, take me through some instances or details of the Walker Bueller baseball life. What do you do on that jet? Is it the team only? Are there wives allowed on these jets? Is that only like a couple times a year or season that that's allowed? But just this week, traveling to Milwaukee, are you playing uh, gin rummy with a teammate? Are you playing pinochle with some cards? This is old school stuff, Walker Bueller, yeah. by yourself. Are you on Netflix? Are you chilling out with some Netflix with your headphones on watching? Or are you watching highlights? Are you watching your last start? Are you watching the Foul Life duck hunting tv show on the outdoor <laughs> channel what what's going on on the plane ride walker i am uh i am part of the poker crew so we have a little poker game that that gets going on the flights um you'll see a lot of different methods you'll see a lot of the coaches kind of doing scouting advanced scouting stuff so they're they're watching who we're about to play and, and kind of putting together their stuff you'll see a lot of guys netflix you'll see a lot of guys just straight asleep um, but, but I'm a, I'm a guy that, that is part of the, the poker game. So, um, we'll get a little Texas Hold'em going on the plane and, and kind of pass our time that way. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of to each his own. I, I you know, we fly in a pretty much a, a basic plane that, that anyone would fly on. And we just happen to be the only people on there. And, and that's kind of how we travel and, some some trips every year the the wives and family are allowed to come on um and then a lot of times they're they wives would be allowed to fly home so back to la with us but not to a city so i don't know the exact origin of that kind of rule and regulation but that's that's just kind of how it's always been done and um yeah, it's kind of a it's a cool deal, and you just pull up and, and get on a big old plane and, and hop out somewhere. I've talked to other major leaguers that some of them enjoy the idea of 
the different cities. You've been to these cities a bunch of times. I mean, you're in the National League. You're in the National League. I mean, you're going to go to Milwaukee. You're going to go to New York and play the Mets. You're going to go to Philadelphia or Pittsburgh and play the Phillies or the Pirates. There's there's all kinds of cities, but there's all kinds of cool culture in all of these different cities. Pittsburgh, it might be a gyro because they got great Greek food there. Philadelphia, it might be the cheesesteak. Milwaukee's known for bars and beer drinking, but it's also got great culinary flair. Do you personally like that part of America and being able to travel? Do you do you take part in this Walker or are you a hotel lobby room service guy or do you kind of go to that place that's known for a great steak or a great burger or something? I know nutrition's a big part of being a professional athlete, but do you take part in some of the the great cultures of these cities you get to visit? Um you know, I think you're always going to say you wish you could do more, right? But the the schedule and the timing of, of this thing, I think, is kind of lost on on people that that aren't involved in it, right? We don't show up. The players, we, we don't go for batting practice in the game, right? We, we If we have a 7 o'clock game, we're there at 1, and we're back at the hotel at 11. So, yeah, we can go and, and grab a breakfast or, or grab a lunch maybe, but but this idea that, then in a three-day stretch, if we play at seven, at six, and then at one, right? That's a typical kind of schedule for a road series. I'll be at the field from one till 11, from 12 till 1030, and then from nine until four. That's that's my work schedule, right? That's my nine to five. So there's just not time to do a lot of these things that, that we would like to do. You'll, you'll catch some of that culture in a clubhouse, right? In Philadelphia, they make cheesesteaks in there. Like that's a nice thing for us. We get to enjoy that a little bit, but you just, it, it's just hard. And you've got to really focus on, on making time for that kind of stuff. If that's what you want to do, right. If you, if you want to, really embrace being able to see a lot of this country. It's, it's, it's a commitment to do that. And, um, you know, I think it takes a a level of success to even stare that down and say like, all right, I want to make this a priority now. Right. Because the moment you struggle, the the moment you mentally are going to say, well, if I would have just not gone to that lunch and gone to the field and or not gone to that dinner late and slept, didn't get to sleep and blah, blah, blah. There's always a reason that, that we will blame ourselves and, and our failures on, or, or just simply things that we want to improve or give ourselves a better chance to succeed. So, um, you know, I guess to answer your question, I, I don't get to do a whole lot. Um, but we try and, and sneak some stuff in here and there when we can. Okay, so tell me then today on an off day, you're from the looks of it, you're in a, a hotel. No, I'm not going to tell anybody where he's at. I don't even know where he's at. Do you check in under an alias, Walker Bueller? Um, so we can, our keys are kind of sitting there when we get there. I, I have had an alias in the past. Is it Texas Ranger? Do you think anybody would get <laughs> It's not Texas Ranger? It is not. I, th- I think people could fi- figure that one out. Oh, that's got to be Walker. But take me through the day now. So you wake up. It's nine. It's nine thirty in the morning there on a Friday. 
Do you wake up and go get a coffee? Do you go get, do you, as a major leaguer, when you know that fan, a lot of times, it t- tell me if I'm wrong, Walker Bueller, but a lot of time do the locals know where the team is staying? Yeah, I mean, I think teams have traditionally kind of stayed in the same places for forever. So, you know, certain cities, you know, there's going to be a pretty strong contingent of, of guys wanting autographs and things like that outside the hotel. So do you take a chance of going down there in your slippers or your flip-flops and your workout shorts in the morning? You got your bed hair going on, or do you jump up and you're in the shower and you're looking, you're, you're feeling good, looking good right away. Do you go to the lobby? How tell, take me through your day before you get to the park today on an off day. Yeah. So, so for me now do this thing and, and hop off of here, I'll probably go get a coffee and, and kind of get my day going, but we'll end up heading to the field about 12, 1230. Um, they'll have a lunch here for us before that. So go grab some of that and eat before we head over there. And, and then it's kind of, you know, time to work. So I'll, I'll lift today and, and get some treatment stuff done on my arm, play some catch, maybe throw off the mound a little bit and, and, you know, do a little shoulder, shoulder work and, and then get ready for the game and, and kind of hang out. So, um, that's what I kind of change from from player to to fan and and teammate at that point um but yeah that's that's kind of the day do you do you like the the part of leaving the hotel if you had it your way because you see all of these stories of professional athletes they get bombarded by fans. The fans are a huge part of your game, your culture, your livelihood. They, their ass has got to be in those seats for you to make the money that you make. And it's a pretty good freaking living. Do you want them outside the hotel getting autographs before you get on the bus? Is the mentality of a baseball player so like keyed in on focus that you don't want that before the game starts or before you even get on, or is it a little bit lax to where you can afford to do that and you want to see the fans and take care of them a little bit? Um, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that depends on, on kind of your mindset at the time, right? If you've had a bad game, it's hard to want to go over there and, and be this big, cool guy that signs an autograph, right? You almost feel disingenuous a little bit doing that. Um, you know, I know guys prefer to sign at the field and, and want to sign for kids and stuff like that. But but as someone that kind of understands the the memorabilia industry a little bit or or whatever, I, I do understand why why guys want an autograph, right? And having been a kid that that wanted autographs, I get it. So, you know, I think I think signing for people at the field is a big thing and an important thing and and something that we probably don't do enough, but it, it is a little odd sometimes to, to walk outside of your hotel and, and people be holding a picture of you. Uh, you know, I think it can be a little, a little overwhelming. Just the kind of knowledge of where you're at all the time is, is a little odd, but that that's part of the game. And, and that is, as you said, that the fans are such a huge, huge piece for us. And, you know, we're, we're so fortunate to to do what we do and, and kind of do it at the level that we do it. And um, yeah, it's, it's a fine balance and, and trying to figure that out. But obviously with this COVID thing, it's, it's just made it even more interesting because now we're really not even supposed to do that stuff. Right. Before it's just kind of a personal, like, Oh, I want to do it. I don't, whatever. Now we're, we're not supposed to, 
you know, and, and that makes it tough because you, you want to do that at times. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's an important thing. It's an important part of our game, but um, you know, we'll get, we'll get back to normal here soon enough. You made a comment in that, that statement right there, Walker Bueller, about the memorabilia game. And I, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into this and correct me and educate me if I'm wrong or going down the wrong path here. I've been at signings where I've been part of it with major leaguers. Lines wrapped around the building. They're so excited. This guy hasn't done a signing in this town forever. Um, and I look at that guy and see his reaction of like, he knew who was an authentic fan that was just there to get an autograph as a nine-year-old kid. But then it was almost like you have like these Star Trek guys, you know, these Trekkies that go to these national conventions and like they live and breathe this professional athlete. You know, there was a, a movie called The Fan with Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes in California in the Bay Area of San Francisco. Um, can you tell, Walker? Can you tell if it's one of those guys that's just going to turn around and take that and sell it on the market or sell it on eBay? It's going to be a, a 19 or a 2018 Walker Bueller Tops or Upper Deck card. His signature's now on it. Can you tell? Is that what you're talking about, the different levels of the memorabilia game? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, if you're at the at the park, right, and you walk down the line and, and sign for a bunch of kids standing there, you're going to get um, – maybe a card, maybe a baseball, maybe a, a used baseball, a, a whatever, a sign my shirt, my jersey. When you start moving into guys that have books, right, books of cards, and while you're sitting there, they've been yelling at you for you to sign, right? Walk, will you come sign this? And you go over there, and they flip through four pages, and there's 12 different players that you're seeing all neatly tucked into this thing. And then they get to your page and ask you to sign five items. It's a little, it's a little interesting, right? Because the nature of the autograph and the beauty of the autograph, right? Is that when a kid hands you something and I sign it, when I was a kid, it was the same thing for me. I, there was a moment in time that I was standing with this player, right? And that's kind of what it signifies, right? And and you take that kind of good good moment and and can be a lifetime memory for for a kid. And that's kind of switched over into, hey, I need these five cards signed. I'm a 38 year old man, and I just cut two kids to get you to sign these. And that's where I think a lot of us have a tough time and and with the internet and and that market kind of being out there and so available, it's it's made it harder and harder for guys to go and sign stuff for kids and and do things like that. I, I don't know how you kind of remedy it, right, or how you fix it, but you know it. I know a lot of us would love to walk out and, and sign 20 things for kids and, and move on with our day. And it's just not a, it's just not a reality anymore. So you can't remedy or fix it. Does the organization have hints or advice? Do you sign for that 38 year old man? That's got the three ring binder with all of these sleeves full of, whether it's a sports illustrated cover or a Walker Bueller Vanderbilt picture, whatever it is, 
Do you still sign for that guy, even though in the back of your mind you're like, well, something's fishy here, but you don't want to be that player that turns somebody away? Or do you kind of just try to like, you know he's there, you know he's in, there's an elephant in the room, but you just give your attention and focus to the nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds standing there in their little league uniforms? Yeah, I mean, that's what you try and do. That's what I try and do, right? I, I don't want to be a be an asshole, but but sometimes there's there's just people and and situations you, you don't want to be in right and, and it's also our time and and you know fans deserve that right we we want to be able to give our time to fans and 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 make a kid's day and all that stuff but you know i don't think any anyone's going to sit out there for an hour and sign for every single person that asks and and we kind of do what we can but you know as i said i think this past year year and a half two years that that whole thing has changed this COVID thing it's it's just change the whole dynamic of of our game and you know i think it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens when we get back to to new normal staying on the autograph track for a minute i know i i got a little bit of time left with you is there anybody that you would bug for an autograph and i don't say bug <laughs> but it is kind of a weird deal right it's like oh look, okay let's just take this for example i'm a duck hunter we have a TV show and we have products and we have, you know, whatever it is, our waiters, our duck calls, whatever. I get approached by people when I'm scouting or I'm in a restaurant or I'm at a, a show, you know, like a NWTF convention, I'm in the booth making an appearance. To me, it's still like, I'm just a duck hunter. Like, it's so weird to me that somebody would want me to sign their hunting hat or have an eight by 11 glossy of me blowing a duck call signed by me. It's still, I'm not against it. I don't, I'm not saying that that's, I'm just, I'm weirded out by it. Like, wow, somebody really wants that. I've have a certain, um, a certain way about autographs. If it's, it's, if it's for me, if I know the person, if I've got to sit down with you and talk and I've got, I, of course I want something, Hey, in a shadow box, po Walker Bueller has been on the podcast. It's in our studio. Yeah. It's great, but it still is weird to me to walk up to somebody and go, Hey, can I get your autograph? There's some people I would do Elvis Presley, George Bush, uh, Willie Nelson. There's people out there that I would love to have their autograph just to say, man, yeah. I was around that dude. Is there anybody that you're like that with Walker that you see like, well, there's Mookie. Mookie's like, you know, he's bulls 300. He can dunk a basketball. Yeah. He's pro he's got a good chance of maybe going to the HOF someday. Do yeah. you get, do you get like that with anybody that you're like buddies with? Yeah. You know, I, I, for me at home now, I have a bunch of, uh, I like having bats, you know, just a bat of, of guys that I've played with, right. Or played against a lot that, that I respect. And, and, you know, you're trying to kind of collect stuff in a way that, you know, you'll display it, right. Or do something with it. So, you know, guys that I played with or, or know well that I'll play against, will just, for example, Aaron Nola, I played with growing up a little bit. So we played in Philadelphia. I have the clubhouse manager run up buy an Aaron Nola Jersey, take it over there to him. He signs it. I take it home. I got his autograph, right? So that's kind of how the, the autograph game works in, in professional baseball more so. So, um, you know, I've, I have some bats from, from guys that I played against a lot, Trevor Story and, and Arenado or, or two that I can think of right now, plus just kind of our teammates and stuff at the end of the year. Hey, man, will you sign a bat for me? I, I want to have one of your bats at my house, right? And And – to me, it's a lot cooler to have that 
with whatever they've written on there than than simply their signature on their bat, right? But it is cool stuff to have and and you know and kind of enjoy that here and there. And um it, it's just an interesting game. Obviously baseball baseball and autographs are kind of synonymous, right? You're talking about the the duck call thing. Not many people are are probably hunting down a duck duck calling autograph picture, right? But you know the the baseball autograph has has kind of been been a staple of of our culture for a long time and um it it is an interesting deal and an interesting game but you know something that that I wouldn't trade you know signing a signing a ball for a kid for anything I love that Baseball is also synonymous with a little bit of smack talk, ribbon in the dugout, jawing with your buddies. Have any of these guys that you've requested an autograph, does Arenado come back with his bat and say, you know, thanks for leaving that one hanging over the out, you know, the middle of the plate? <laughs> is, have, is, do you recall any like smart ass messages that you've gotten back on a jersey or a bat? Or are they all kind of real, you know, real nice and real polite, passionate things like, Walker, it's great to have you in the game and great to play against you. I love being a competitor of yours, love being your teammate, Mookie Betts. Or does anybody ever, you know, mess with you a little bit? Yeah. I mean, especially your teammates are, are going to do that, right? So I, I remember. Uh, Machado wrote, you know, bet you won't throw me a fastball or something like that on there, you know, but, but that's what you want, right? You, you want that in your house to, to have the story and yeah, I played with such and such for this long at this time. And yeah, he wrote this on this stupid bat and, and whatever. So, um, you know, some guys will just sign it. Some guys will write something on there, but that's kind of the, the one that sticks out for sure. Well, you got a lot of players on a baseball team. You don't, you haven't played with all of them, but you also never grew up playing with Machado, but you played against him. How do you put it in your mind? Do you say, well, he's one of the greatest. He signed a huge contract. He might have a chance to be a Hall of Famer. He was a teammate. Like, do you go to San Diego and ask Tatis? Because Tatis lights the ball up right now, right? Is he one of the better hitters in baseball right now? And do you ask him for his autograph because of his talent level? Or what does it take to get Walker Bueller to ask for your autograph? No, you know, obviously I played with Machado for, for the half season in 18. So um, asking him was, was a little bit more simple of a decision by just walking up to him in the locker room, I guess. But um, yeah, it just, it just depends. Obviously these guys in the division, we're going to play a lot and, and that can mean you either learn to have a lot of respect for them or, or you don't like them too much. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens, but like, for example, I, I met Story and Arenado on a trip with Nike and Blackman. So all three of them went on this trip. I was on this trip. I asked Story and Arenado for bats, but not Blackman because Blackman hits me really, really well. So the other two guys don't hit me quite as good as Blackman. So you don't want to give him that little concession that, Hey man, I want your autograph when he hits you like that. So, um, oh, I had no idea. Yeah. So, you'll, you know, a guy that maybe you've had a little bit more success against, you assume they might respect you a little bit more and, and not mind doing it for you. Or, you know, you don't want a guy to think he kind of owns you, even if he's done well off you. But he could go the other way to where now Charlie's sitting there going, wait a minute. Is Walker messing with me? It might get in his head a little bit to where the next time uh, you're up see, there, you 
these hitters love that. They love to feel comfortable, right? So if they if they think that you're perfectly, you know, on the straight and narrow and and like them and and want to be cool with them, then they kind of know you'll never hit them in the head, right? So that that's kind of the the element of of that 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 you can lose when you become too close to some of those guys. Let's just let's just take him for example real quick. And I know that you're not going to give a bunch of you don't want to give him anything more, but is his approach one of the like do you really respect that kind of approach to the game of the tenacity and and I and I know that there's a lot of players that have it, but but Chuck Nasty has this like double personality to me to where when he's between the chalks, he's truly a different cat. Um do you enjoy that part of Charlie Blackman, even though he has had some success off of you? He's a talented guy. He's an all-star. I mean, he's he's a three three hundred lifetime hitter. Like that's a legit thing to be able to say. What what is it about him that you like or dislike? Is there anything that you can tell me personally or specifically about Charlie Blackman, Chuck Nasty? Yes. Uh, you know, first off, him him being a left-handed hitter. They're not. They're not all kind of created equal, right? And and some of the things that that I do well happen to line up with what he does really well, right? So our strengths kind of line up, and a lot of times that's that's going to be a little bit advantage hitter because you know they need to go one for three and they've had a great day, right? And and if I make a mistake, he's he's certainly kind of pounced on those in the past. I think. I think the biggest thing about those guys, especially in Colorado is if, you know, that, that we kind of respect more than anything is, is how difficult it is to play there. Right. And how physically hard it is on your body. And and for him to have played so many years there at such a high level, I think it's really a testament to, to what he does off the field and, and how he takes care of himself and, and, at the all-star game in 2019 got to to meet him in kind of more of the team setting and, and see, you know, what he does to, to maintain his body. And, and it's, it's just more and it. And it has to be, and that's, what's crazy about playing in Colorado. But, you know, I think we all have this kind of unspoken respect for the guys that are able to do it for a long time there. I asked him this one time, if he considered himself a veteran, when does that title get placed on Walker Bueller or Charlie Blackman? How, how, when do you become a veteran? I know that there's the rookie. You've been in professional baseball for a few years. You worked your way up through the, you know, the rookie ball and the low A and the single A and the double A and the triple A. Maybe you've jumped one of those uh, uh, sections. When does the word veteran get put on a player, Walker? Do you have to prove yourself that you know the game, or is it just because you've got five years in the league? Is it 10 years in the league? What makes you a veteran? Because Charlie Blackman yeah. tells me he feels he's a veteran, and I don't think that he is. I think he might just be getting in his prime, but you've also said that he's been doing it at that level for a good bit of time now. Is he a veteran, right. and what makes you a veteran? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple different ways to look at it, right? There's there's the guys that sign a free agent contract, right? That's kind of the first benchmark of true – like truly being in this game a long time, right? When you can get six years and then you can make a decision on where you want to play, that that's kind of a veteran thing to some guys. Some guys believe in the idea that 10 years of service, so playing 10 full seasons 
is kind of the mark of, of a guy that really, really did it and, and really, really played this game at a high level. Um, you know, I think for me personally, I'm, I'm not a veteran by any means yet. I, I will say that in terms of the game and, and the playoffs and things like that, like I've been in a lot of situations that, that maybe not many people have been in with my service level. Right. So if this is my fourth season. I've got three full seasons. I've really, I've pitched in a lot of playoff games for, for having three, three years, which is a testament to our team more than anything. And the fact that for some reason they keep trying to give me the ball, but I think I'm a, I have a lot more starts than in the playoffs than some guys that have been in the game for 10 years. So I think it really depends on what you're basing it on or or basing it for. Right. So, you know, oh, that guy's a vet. Like, yeah, the guy's been here 12 years. Like, of course he is. But is there guys that play differently that play more maturely than their age dictate? Sure. I think so. And and I hope in, in some small way, I kind of would fit into that category, but I am, I am in no way a veteran in this game. Have you got to play Atlanta yet this year, Walker Bueller? In our last conversation, you said that the guy that you have this – I don't know – I can't remember exactly, but you, you played college ball with Dansby. Is he still that guy that you want to strike out four times in a game? What is your mindset of Dansby right now going into this new season? They got a pretty good offensive team over there in Atlanta. Yeah. You, guys are the, you guys are the returning world champion Los Angeles Dodgers. Do you smile at him? Do you hug him in the in between the lines during you know calisthenics before the game starts? How's that going to go down when you see him for the first time this season, knowing that you're a world champion now? No, you know I think it'll kind of kind of be the same as it usually is. Obviously, we played them kind of at the second highest level you can, right? Playing them in the NLCS and, and <laughs> being down three one is that that kind of situation is about as intense as you're going to get. So, um. Yeah, you got too many. He just has too many hits off me in the playoffs this year. I didn't like it, so we're we're gonna have to figure something out. But no, I, I think once once you get between them, man, we're wearing different jerseys, and and that is what it is. But you know, we wish him and him and them the best uh, until they play us. All right, let's end it like this. What are what are you seeing so far in this young season? You're 30 games in. What is what are you seeing? What's surprising you? What is impressing you? Is there somebody on your team that just daily you're just like, wow, still yeah, you just impresses me? Because it's hard to impress a guy that's seen what you've seen and done what you've done. It's gotta be hard. And talk to me a little bit about the division of the NL West. There are some stout teams in there. San Diego's got a pretty good offensive battery. San Francisco's playing out of their cleats right now, out of their spikes. Um What's surprising you? What are you what are you seeing so far? And where do we go from here for the next 132 games? Yeah. Uh, you know, for us it's it's big. It's it's kind of a lot of the same in, in terms of, you know, we keep adding veteran pieces, right? We got Bauer and JT back and and all this, but we're also developing guys, right? We, you know, Zach McKinstry came up and, and before he got hurt was leading our team and homers and RBIs 
in in largely a role that that he wasn't supposed to have right off the jump, right? And and just played well and played his way into it. Dustin May similarly, obviously, he's been here a little bit longer and, and contributed at a at a pretty pretty good clip for a couple of years now, but he's throwing the ball really well and and kind of developing into that guy that that is going to be a, a problem for some other teams just because of kind of the freakiness of, of what he does and, and the velocity and movement. He's just putting it together a little bit. So I think those two guys, and, and obviously, you know, if you, if you did watch the playoffs, you kind of caught, kind of saw the, the second coming out party of, of Julio Urias. So, you know, we're, we really like our staff and, and our depth and, um, it's being tested a, a little bit right now with with some of the guys we have on on the shelf, but you know they'll they'll be back eventually, and and we'll be good to go. So you're not worried about the Giants or Tatis in San Diego? <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, you know they they have a really really good team over there, man, and and a, a different team than us. They're they're loud and a little bit younger, maybe, and um. You know, at the end of the day, they, they beat us last weekend. But you know, we've we've we'll play them a, a lot of times, and, and we'll play a lot of games, and you know, we'll see what happens. So you're happy so far. It's one of those things. I I, I got to go back to this before we end. Your analogy of <clears throat> your starts this year: the 31 innings pitch, 31 strikeouts, one and zero, a lot of no decisions. I love the way you laid that out for people that might not necessarily get that you did give up two leads in that game against Cincinnati. You did go out with the lead, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> but your offense did have your back throughout that game. And you're saying, well, maybe I let them down a little bit by, by, by giving up those other two leads. I freaking love that analogy. That's what life is all about. That's what baseball is all about. I freaking love your approach, dude. It's amazing to see when I watched you pitch the other night, I was with my nephew and my nephew's like, he doesn't even look old enough to be in the major leagues. Like he's looks, you just, he looks so young up there. I'm like, you do, man. It's like you, you, you've, you've alluded to it in here. You've pitched so many playoff innings. You've accomplished, you're a world champion. You're an, obviously you're a national league champion. You're a Vanderbilt NCAA champion. It's pretty good freaking resume so far. Walker Bueller, your yep. nickname is your nickname. Butane. Yeah. Our triple A. My AAA pitching coach gave me that nickname. It's it's uh, one of my favorites. It's kind of stuck. You gave me a glove that my nephew, again, same nephew, is begging me for. And I'm like, it's going in a shadow box. You're not going <laughs> to. He goes, but it says butane on it. That's so badass. Can you give my two people a shout out? Can you just give Chance and Gavin a little shout out before I leave? Chance and Gavin. Yeah, Chance, Gavin, how you guys doing, man? I, I appreciate you guys listening to to the podcast and, and kind of watching me try and play, play some baseball every once in a while. I appreciate it. I freaking love it. Walker Bueller, keep it up. Go get a cup of coffee. If, if it listen, you got my number. If you need yep. me to fly in there and take care of some of these autograph hounds in the <laughs> lobby this morning, I'll get on the jet and I'll come over there. All right. I appreciate it, man. Let's stay in touch, brother. Keep up the good work. I can't wait to see you this fall. And uh, hopefully we get together after some Mallard ducks in the off season. All right, buddy. Later on. That, that's Walker Bueller, world champion, Los Angeles Dodgers. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't for Everybody. Please keep downloading and subscribing to the podcast. I truly appreciate all the support. Thank you, Walker Bueller. Thank you to the Dodgers. Thank you to Major League Baseball. 
Thank you all for listening. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This is Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone? I'd rather be poor living off in a hole Rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last too long So what you going to do when the money's all gone? Tell me now.